12 Messianic Prophecies, session number eight. Do you enjoy um, studying Messianic or yes. Bible prophecy? Yes. Well, then you ought to be. I tricked you into that one. Then I hope to see you here Saturday night because someone way more knowledgeable than I am about Bible prophecy is going to be with us this weekend, Tim Moore. And I've been on the phone with him the last couple of days talking and preparing for him coming Saturday night. Saturday night's topic is the greatest reset. And I know where he's going with that. And I'm going to tell you, if you, and obviously you do, like reading, studying Bible prophecy, you got to be here for these sessions. Saturday night will be the greatest reset. And both Sunday morning services are the same topic, like normally we do Sunday mornings because we can't get everybody into one service. And Sunday morning is what are you looking forward to? And I think he's doing a whole lot of the same thing I did with that back to the future, except he's got a whole different angle that he's doing. So this weekend, uh, 6 o'clock Saturday night, 8.30, 10.30, you get to pick one of those on Sunday morning, but come to both sessions, one of the sa come to the Saturday night and one of the Sunday mornings, and uh, you can get your fill of Bible prophecy for the whole month of October, November. How's that? So Tim Moore replaced Dr. David Reagan as the CEO of Lamb and Lion Ministries, and Tim's going to be here. Dr. Reagan retired. But before he retired, Dr. Reagan wrote a magazine article. It's his last one. And I read that magazine, and in there he had listed 12 prophecies, Messianic prophecies that had a huge impact on him. I took that 12 topics, and then I expanded them into this we're on number eight of 12, eight of 12. And tonight, uh, they're not in any kind of uh, um, order of ranking, they're, but they are trying to be in chronological order. So tonight, we've kind of gone out of the, the uh, Old Testament, and we're jumping over in the New Testament, and we're going to be talking about Messiah's resurrection. And maybe, even before I read it, let me say this. What if I were to tell you that I'm going to die, and, but, but after a period of time, I'm going to come back to life? And then you did it, and you were sure that I died. How would you look at me after that? You would think, whoa, that's incredible. I mean, who could say they're going to die and come back to life and do it? Because that's what we're dealing with tonight. Jesus is going to do his own messianic prophecy. Every one of them uh, have kind of been somebody doing it about him. And then he comes and he does it. He becomes the prophet. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for prophecy um, so that we can see what's coming. And, and not just that we can see what's coming, that it was said in advance and it happened exactly as it was said in advance so that we can know you're in charge of everything. That you know the future before the future comes. And you can make sure things happen um, in the future. Who can do that except God? Who can do that except Almighty? So tonight we give you thanks for the Bible, for Bible prophecy, for Messianic prophecies. Open our minds to understand the scriptures, I pray, tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, tonight's in Luke 9.21. I'm going to read all three of the pretty normal English translations. 
Jesus warned his disciples not to tell anyone who he was. Can you imagine how hard a challenge that would be? That'd be like healing me from leprosy and say, don't tell anybody. I'd say, ain't going to happen. Sorry. The Son of Man. Here's this messianic prophecy. The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things. He will be rejected by the elders and the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. He's announcing something in advance so that, why? So that when it does happen exactly as he says in advance, you're going to look at him and go, whoa, who can do that? No, no, you can't do that. I can't do that. But he did it, uh, NASB. But he warned them and instructed them not to tell this to anyone, saying the Son of Man must suffer many things be rejected by the elders and chief priests, scribes, and be killed and be raised up on the third day. NIV, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. He said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So what does it say when a person can announce a specific future in advance about himself. Not just about somebody else, not just about something, but about yourself. Have you ever thought, and here's where I'm going with that question. Have you ever thought about Jesus being a prophet? We think about Jesus being a lot of things, but I found that a lot of people don't really put him in a category of a prophet. You don't think of him in that light. But Jesus is a prophet. When Jesus spoke these words to his disciples, he was prophesying future events to them and to, so that we, after they wrote them down, would know that he has power over past, present, and future. The Jewish people believed in prophets and prophecies. Okay, let's start there. The Jewish people, it was a culture that was accepting, accepting of prophecy. They they believed that there were prophets, and they believed that the prophets' words were absolute authority and they were going to come true. In fact, the Jewish people, and I'm going to get into the details, the Jewish people were waiting on the prophet to come based upon the prophecies of the Old Testament prophets. So when Jesus comes, he's born in Bethlehem, in that time frame, in that time frame, um, there'd been about 400 years of silence. And a few years ago, I, I did a series on those 400 years, the gap between Malachi and, and the Gospels. When there weren't any prophecies, there wasn't anything new. Malachi kind of finished it out, and there wasn't much that was happening. So what are the, the Jewish people doing when Jesus comes on the scene? Waiting for the prophet. They're looking. I'm going to show you. They're waiting for the, the singular prophet. Was John the Baptist the prophet they were waiting for? Because John the Baptist comes, what, he's six months ahead of Jesus. He's the forerunner of Christ. He is a prophet. But is he the prophet they're waiting for? So here's what I want to do tonight. I want you to to be able to see 
Jesus as the prophet that the Old Testament prophets were talking about coming. In fact, uh, let me just give you a hint. Moses announced to the children of Israel that God is going to raise up a prophet like me from among our own people. You must listen to him. That's what Moses told the people. A prophet like me from our own people. He'll be Jewish. He'll be from Israel. A prophet. Now, we know that that was singular. He was referring to the Messiah. So, was John the Baptist the prophet? So, let's go do some digging. John 1.19. This was John's testimony. And then we're talking about John the Baptist, not the uh, Apostle John. This was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, John the Baptist, who are you? He came right out and said, I'm not the Messiah. Well then, who are you, John the Baptist? Are you Elijah? Now, why, why would they have that question? Why, are, they, are these stupid questions? They're not stupid questions. You know what they are? They knew the Old Testament. They, they knew the prophecies. So John the Baptist is a very unusual guy. Obviously, once they met him, they knew God's hand was upon him. So they started asking, are you Elijah? Nope. Are you the prophet we've been expecting? You see, this culture was, they believed in prophecy. This culture was waiting for the prophet. Are you him? Nope. Verse 22, and who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah. It's interesting that John the prophet is going to quote the prophet Isaiah. These prophets are really tied together, aren't they? He's quoting Isaiah. I'm the voice shouting in the wilderness. Clear the way for the Lord's coming. Now, understand something. That is 750 years before John the Baptist. Do you know what somebody said 750 years ago? You would if you believed in prophecy. You see, he quotes Isaiah, verse 24. Then the Pharisees who had been sent asked John the Baptist, if you aren't the Messiah, <laughs> check that one off. If you aren't Elijah, check that one off. And if you aren't the prophet, check that one off. What right do you have to baptize? John told them, I baptize with water. By, by the way, I need to say this. You know, baptism was not the thing then. Do you know that? Where do you find baptism in the Old Testament? It's not there. So what John's doing, I mean, for us, baptism is pretty kind of normal. But John's doing something people aren't doing. There's no baptism in the Jewish law. Those 613 rules, it's not in there. Baptism, it's not in there. So they're asking another good question. If you're not, if you're not Elijah, you're not the Messiah, you're not the prophet, what right do you have to do this baptism thing? John says, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd. Oh my, I bet if I, I've got goosebumps in that one. I'm, I'm, I, I'm baptizing with water. But right here in the crowd, among us, is someone you do not recognize. 
though his ministry follows mine, six months gap, I'm not even worthy to be his slave or to untie the straps of his sandals. Something's about to happen. John's purpose for coming is about to be manifest. He's making a straight path through the wilderness for the Messiah. He's here. That's what he's doing. He's going to announce he's here, right here among us. So, let's pause in that one. They've quizzed John the Baptist. And do they believe in prophets and prophecy? Yeah, they do. Do they, do they wonder, is John the Baptist the prophet? Yeah, they do. But he's not. So here's Jesus. We're going to go to Matthew eleven seven. Here's Jesus describing John the Baptist. So you've got John the Baptist describing Jesus a little bit. And now you've got Jesus describing John the Baptist. Matthew eleven seven. As John's disciples, John the Baptist, were leaving, Jesus began talking about him, John the Baptist, to the crowds. What kind of a man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of wind? Now, let me, I need to pause for a moment because I know a lot of people read that and they say, hmm? was he a weak reed um, swayed by the breath of wind? You know what I interpret that to be? Was he a people pleaser? Did he, did he tell you what you wanted to hear? Did, did he make you real, feel real warm and fuzzy all over when you talked to him? No, he usually said, you brood of vipers! You know, he was harsh. He was a harsh preacher. In fact, they didn't, most of them didn't like him. The, the religious elites, they didn't like this guy. So Jesus is saying, this is important, because John is a prophet. Okay, let's say it. He's not the prophet. Is John the Baptist a prophet? You better believe he is. Did you go into the wilderness to see, was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of wind? No. Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes, some fancy preacher? What did he wear? Camel's hair. Add locust breath, Right. I don't think they would fit in into the Pharisees and the Sadducees. No, people with expensive clothes live in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Do you see it? Yeah, you were looking for a prophet. Understand, this is important. The Jewish people had experienced 400 years of prophet silence. Malachi to, to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, 400 years. No recording. No, it's God's not speaking until Messiah comes. Yes. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes. Yes, you were. That's why you're out there in the wilderness. And he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, look, I am sending the mess, my messenger ahead of you. And he will prepare your way before you. And I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater. You want that on your resume by Jesus? Of all the people that ever lived, all men born of women, none's greater than John the Baptist. Go on, see if you can top that one. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. Wow. And I'll tell you how much different heaven's going to be than here. Verse 12. And from the time that John the Baptist began preaching until now, 
the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. Do you know what that means? The spiritual war, the spirit of antichrist has launched. It's forcefully advancing. Since John comes and announces, the war has begun, the spiritual battle. Notice how Jesus describes it. It says, um, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, which means God, God is supernaturally pushing John the Baptist on the scene. He's supernaturally preparing the way in Israel for the Messiah's uh, revelation of his purpose and his person. And violent people, why are violent people suddenly becoming violent people? Because it's a spiritual battle. It rages in the heavenly realms. Who's, who's initiating it? John. Why? Because he's going to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah. For before John came, verse 13, all the prophets, all the prophets, and the law of Moses looked forward to right now. Right now, when Jesus comes, Messiah comes. And if you're willing to accept what I say, da, 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 here it comes. He is Elijah. Now, if you're sitting in that audience hearing that, you're going to think, huh? Huh? Now, what's Elijah? Why, why are they making a big deal out of Elijah? Elijah didn't die. Elijah got taken up into heaven by a flaming chariot, so he didn't die. And it's prophesied that Elijah's coming back, right? Malachi prophesies Elijah's coming back. Uh, in fact, the last chapter of Malachi is kind of what we consider the beginning of the 400 years of silence. And the last chapter of Malachi says John, Elijah's coming back. He's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers. He's going to come back. And Jesus says, if you're willing to accept what I'm telling you, he's Elijah, the one, the one the prophets said would come. Anyone with ears to hear. Isn't it interesting that he then adds this? In fact, for a long time, I just, I was so intrigued by verse 14 that I would kind of read over 15. And that'd be a tragic error. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. If you can accept it, John the Baptist is Elijah. Now, if you take the whole scripture, is John the Baptist the physical manifestation of Elijah? No. So I'm telling you all, Elijah's still coming. Right? You better believe he is. But is John the Baptist Elijah? No. He came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. He came like a forerunner, like a shadow. Like the, a, a short-term fulfillment of the long-term prophecy. And um, if you study all the scripture, that'll become very clear. That's not very edgy. All props. So here we go. Here's what I'm wanting to do. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. That's the verse that it's easy in the middle of all this descriptive language to kind of read over. What? What? Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. All prophecy, and there's all kinds of prophecy talk here, right? All prophecy, prophecy has a source, a single source through which it all flows. So when I say the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Jeremiah and the prophet Ezekiel, they're all getting information from the same source. 
It's not coming from Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah. It's coming from the source beneath those men. It all has a single source. John the Baptist was the forerunner of the source. How big is this? He's the forerunner. His whole plan, Isaiah prophesies he's going to come and be the forerunner of the Messiah. He's going he's to announce prophecy about the source of prophecy. He's going to reveal the source of all prophecy, Jesus, Messiah. There's an amazing revelation in the revelation of John about the source of prophecy. So we're in week, what, seven of this study, and we're studying messianic prophecy. The Bible is about 30%, I don't know exactly, but it's about 30% of prophecy. Much of the Bible prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus' first coming. Even more prophecy has been written about his second coming than his first coming, and it will be fulfilled exactly as it has been announced. So with that said, there's an amazing revelation in the revelation of John about the source of all prophecy. And, and I want you to know the source, because it's going to matter when we get toward the end tonight. So let's jump over into Revelation 19. This is John, the gospel John, the apostle John. Um, then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Now, if you know anything about Revelation, when you get to chapter 19, what's happening? Jesus is coming to authority. He's coming, the king's coming. He's coming as the king to reign. Uh, he's taking dominion and authority on the earth. Satan is going to be removed. And so when you get to 19, what does it say? Praise the Lord for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and his bride, the church, has prepared herself. What's the context of the wedding feast and the bride being prepared? His kingdom's come. The wedding feast. Verse 8, she has been given, the church has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, here's an angel trying to explain to John what he's seeing. And John's having a hard time seeing all this. He, what's John experiencing? Prophecy. He's experiencing future prophetic scenes. And John's having a hard time taking it all in. And the angel said to me, John, write this. Write what? Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Did you all get your invitation? His name's Jesus. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And the angel said to John, and he added, these are the true words that come from God. And then I fell, John said, I fell down at the angel's feet to worship him. You can tell John is just smack out overwhelmed. That's what he is. He's overwhelmed. So he, one thing I can think to do is fall down and worship the angel. He fell down at the angel's feet, but the angel said, no, no, don't worship me. I am a servant of God, just like you and your brothers and sisters who, what's the connection? 
angels, brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. What's the connecting of the angels and the brothers and sisters who they testify of their faith of Jesus? There's our connection. We have this connection with the angels. Don't bow to me. We're just working together for this King Jesus. Here it comes. Here it comes. Here's the reason I'm reading this. He says, worship only God. For the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness of Jesus. Let me reword it. The fundamental purpose of prophecy. I told you 30% of this book is prophetic in nature. The essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness of Jesus. The essence or the purpose of all this prophecy is so that you will know Jesus. That's it. John just got this from the angel who said, uh, verse, verse 8, these are the true words that come from God. Every prophecy in the Bible is given for a single purpose. Can you think about that for a moment? Everything in the Bible ultimately is for a single purpose. To give a clear witness for Jesus. To put the pieces of the puzzle together so when all enough pieces get put in there, you'll see Jesus. Yeshua Messiah. You'll see Jesus Christ. The Gospel of Luke reveals the prophecy of the prophet Jesus. Jesus is going to give a clear witness of himself in the Gospel of Luke. In fact, let me read it to you. It's how we started tonight. The Son of Man. Here's Jesus revealing the prophecy of himself. The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. Do you see every one of these are future tense events? He will be. Future tense from Jesus, past tense for us. He will be killed, but on the third day he'll be raised from the dead. Jesus makes this prophetic announcement of future events very early in his three-year public ministry. But his followers struggled with understanding even when the prophecy came from the very source of all prophecy. So, um, it would be one thing to struggle with Jeremiah's prophecy because Jeremiah's having to prophesy something that he received from the source. So you're kind of getting it secondhand. But Jesus isn't getting it secondhand. He's the source. And even though he's the source, do they get it? You think when he said this, the Son of Man must suffer many things and he must be crucified and on the third day raised again. They're all going to say... Yeah, yeah, I get it. They didn't get it. There's no way they got it. He who has ears to hear. This is where all this is going tonight, by the way. He who has ears to hear, let him hear and understand what the Spirit says to the church. Hold that. There's your hint for tonight's real point. I have no idea where I'm at right now. Hold on. <laughs> Jesus... Jesus prophetically reveals his suffering, his rejection by the Jewish leaders, 
his death and his resurrection from the dead all well in advance of their occurrence. Okay? This prophetic announcement by Jesus is recorded in the other Gospels as well. It's in Matthew and it's in Mark. So we're going to touch on those in a moment. But before I do, let's go to Luke 9, 43. And, and let me give you some context. Uh, as we open up verse 43, Jesus has just cast out a demon, an unclean spirit from this boy that had been held captive by an evil spirit. He has just cast him out just with his word. He says, you got to go, you got to go. Okay. And in verse 43, all, A-W-E, gripped the people as they saw this majestic display of God's power. What, what, what power? Who can tell a demon, you got to go, and he goes? Can you? Not unless you've got Jesus with you. In fact, let me tell you, if you don't have Jesus with you, don't try it. Just keep your mouth shut. Stay away. While everyone was marveling at everything Jesus was doing, Jesus said this to his disciples. Listen to me and remember what I say. Listen and remember. Listen to me. Remember what I say. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. But they didn't know what he meant. Its significance was hidden from them. So they couldn't understand it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. They can't get the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of simple men. Right over their head. Who's hiding it? God. He who has ears to hear, let him hear and understand what the Spirit says to the churches. Stay with me. This text reveals much about our ability to understand Bible prophecy. It must be revealed by the Spirit of Christ. Just reading this, and again, I, I, I wish everybody would study the Scripture, but the reality is studying the Scripture apart from the Holy Spirit, you will not understand. I can just tell you right now, you will not get it apart from the Spirit. Did they get it? And they're standing next to the Messiah, the source of all prophecy. And he tells them and they don't get it. Notice that they were also afraid to question Jesus about it. It says they didn't understand it, but they're afraid to say, oh, I don't get it. Why? Because they're afraid they look stupid or it just looks so big and so overwhelming that how could I possibly get it? Which one? I don't know. And then I think of this revelation from the angel, from God through the angel to John to us, the church. For the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness of Jesus. This is how the New American Standard Bible translates that revelation scripture. It says, and then I fell at his feet to worship him. He's talking about John and that angel again. But he, the angel said to me, do not do that. Don't bow to me. I'm a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold 
the testimony. <laughs> Behold the testimony. This. I hold it in here. I'm a fellow servant of you who hold this inside of you, who hold the testimony of Jesus. Listen to what he says. Worship God, only God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. A little different wording in the English. This is why we have a prophecy conference at the end of a Christian church. Why? For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This is why I preach on Bible prophecy. Do you understand that many churches, many preachers won't touch it? I've had a lot of discussions with ministers about this. Uh, I don't want to say most. I just say a lot of preachers, they just won't touch it. A third of the Bible, a third of the Bible, they won't touch it. Why? Because they don't think you can understand it. I don't think you can understand it either apart from the Holy Spirit. But I believe with the Holy Spirit, he gave it to us for a purpose so that we could see it and know that when you see in advance what was said and that it was fulfilled exactly, then you will know that I am who I say I am. So he didn't mean for it to be left out. He just meant for us to be under the power of the Spirit so that we could understand it. Can you see it? I'm asking the crowd tonight. We need the Holy Spirit to understand prophecy. Now, I'm going to make a confession. There was a time years ago that uh, I was scared to death of it. You know, to, to teach Revelation, terrified. I give you a testimony. I was terrified. And then slowly, as I became a student of the Word, as I began to, to allow the Holy Spirit to transform my heart, I could start to read, and he would show me things. And he would start to, re and that, my mind would start to open up so I could see it and understand it. And it still is. Do, do I understand all this? No, I don't. There's still portions of this. You'll probably just see me jump over it. I don't get it either. I don't get it. I'm, I'm asking. I'm saying, Lord, there's one. I don't, there, there's another one. I don't get that one. We, here's, here's why I'm making a big deal out of that. He who has ears to hear, let him hear and understand what the Spirit says to the church. Stay with me. Listen to what the prophet Jesus says about himself. John 6, 41. Then the people began to murmur. You know what murmuring is? That's murmuring. That's not good. They murmur in disagreement because he had said... I'm the bread that came down from heaven. Murmur, 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 murmur. You don't look like bread that's from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus? Here's their first mistake, the son of Joseph. No, he's not. You're murmuring over wrong information. I'm the bread that came down from heaven. No, you're not. You're Joseph's son. We know his father and we know his mother. How can he say, I came down from heaven? But Jesus replied, stop complaining about what I said. For no one can come to me unless the father who sent me does something. And let no one can come to me unless the father who sent me 
draws them to me. He who has ears to hear, let him listen and understand what the Spirit says to the churches. Stop complaining about what I said. No one can come to me. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me does something. He has to do, he has to initiate something. The Holy Spirit has to initiate something. No one can come to the Son unless the Holy Spirit draws them, opens your eyes to see, your ears to hear, your heart to receive, believe, and obey. He has to do something. As it is written in the Scriptures, they will all be taught by God. All be taught by God. Where's the source of prophecy? God. They will all be taught by God. How? The Spirit. The Word. In concert. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from Him comes to me. Not that anyone has ever seen the Father. Only I, who was sent from God, have seen Him. We need ears to hear. So that we might listen and understand what the Spirit of Christ reveals about the prophetic plans and the ways of God. This same statement of Jesus is revealed to all seven churches in Revelation. Jesus calls John to write a letter to seven churches, all seven churches. He says the same thing. Church, do you think he means something specific to the church? I'm just going to read one of them, Revelation 2, 7. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the churches. Why? Because without the Spirit, you don't have the calling. No one can come to the Son unless the Father draws them. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand what the Spirit says to the churches. It's the drawing of Christ. He's not interested in your plans. He's not interested in my plans. He wants to draw me into his plan, his plan. There was a time that Jesus' disciples did not understand. It was hidden from them, but they continued to remain with Jesus until it is revealed. All of it. That's good counsel right now for everybody here. We got people here, and, and we got people here of great spiritual maturity, and we got people who are beginning their walk. And I don't want you to begin your walk and get frustrated. You just hang in there. He'll reveal to you what you need to know when you need to know it. If you'll just hang in there. You just stay connected to the vine. The fruit will come. You just stay connected. Here's his disciples. And he picked them specifically. And they don't get it. But what did they do? They stayed with him. They stayed with him. They're thinking, you know. I'm going to show you one of the prime examples of not only did they stay with him and didn't get it, they actually almost opposed him at one point. I did it again. I have no idea where I'm at. (laughs) Oh, here it is. There was a time that Jesus' disciples did not understand. It was hidden from them. But they continued until it was revealed. All of it, Matthew 16 reveals that Peter still didn't fully understand Jesus' prophetic announcement. So let's read Matthew 16. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly. Now that's important. He wasn't doing this whole parable secret thing. He's just coming right out and saying what he's, what's going to happen. Okay, he's, he's prophesying in clear language. 
he began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary. We're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the law. I will be killed, but on the third day, I'll be raised from the dead. He says it plain language. No sneaky talk, parable talk. It's just plain language. Uh, okay, here we go. But Peter, I see Peter putting his arm around Jesus, calling him off to the side. Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Peter. Peter. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap for me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. And Peter ended up being one of the greatest followers of Christ ever lived on the earth. So I don't care where you think you are right now. You just hang in there. I, I would highly advise you not to reprimand Jesus along the journey. Okay, can I just stick that in there? If you're feeling like you need to tell Jesus you're going the wrong way, just shut up for a while. Let that pass. So what about us today? Can we understand this suffering, rejection, crucifixion, resurrection of Jesus? Do we, right now, today, have ears to hear and understand these events that were declared by Jesus some 2,000 years ago? We're going to take a test here in a moment. Everybody's going to get to take a test. I'll take it with you. Let's be honest. Most of the world does not have ears to hear and understand Bible prophecy. Or they would repent and turn to God and fall on their face in repentance and faith. This next scripture is how the book of Acts ends. Most of the Jewish people cannot hear and understand the gospel of Jesus Christ that was given through the Apostle Paul. So I'm going to go to the very end of the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And as I'm reading this, Paul is a prisoner. He's in Rome waiting for trial at, to stand before Caesar because he preaches the gospel. And for a while, he kind of has some liberty, and later his imprisonment will become very harsh. But in the beginning, it was not so bad. He's a prisoner. He can't go where he wants. Uh, so, but I want you to notice what happens. What happens? We got Jews and Gentiles. Here we go. So a time was set, and on that day, a large number of people came to Paul's lodging. Doesn't sound like he's in a dungeon. Not, not yet, anyway. He's, he's lodging. He explained, explained and testified about the kingdom of God and tried to persuade the Jews who lived in Rome about Jesus using what? This. What's his tool? This. Using the law of Moses, the books of the prophets, he spoke to them from morning till evening. I love that part. No short sermons there. Some were persuaded by the things he said, but others did not believe. And after they had argued back and forth among themselves, now, and he's talking to the Jews, okay? Jews in Rome. After they had argued back and forth among themselves, they left with this final word from Paul. Here we go. Here's the end of the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit was right. Who was right? The Holy Spirit was right. 
when he said to your ancestors, your Jewish ancestors through Isaiah the prophet, go and say to this people, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. And when you see what I do, you will not comprehend. Huh? This is how he's going to, this is how the book of Acts closes up. He's looking at these Jewish people and he quotes prophet Isaiah. He quotes prophecy. I want to read it again. The Holy Spirit was right when he said, to your ancestors through Isaiah the prophet, go and say to this people, when you hear what I say, you'll not understand. When you see what I do, you'll not comprehend. Comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me. You're, you're in a messed up condition because in that condition, you're, you can't see, you can't hear, your heart's too hard. You cannot turn to me and be healed. So you're lost. You can't do it. No one can come to me unless the Son, unless they're drawn to the Son, unless the Father draws them. The Spirit is absent. Verse 28, so I want you to know that this salvation from God has also been offered to the Gentiles, and they will accept it. Now, here's the important part tonight. We've had 2,000 years of this. Where the Jews hardened hearts pushed away the Yeshua Messiah. They pushed away their Jewish Messiah. And the church has reaped a bountiful harvest for 2,000 years. And you know what the church is doing today? Same thing the Jews. Now the church is doing it. What? Eyes that cannot see. Ears that cannot hear. Hard hearts that cannot obey. Now the Gentiles are doing it. Do you see it? I see it. If this happened to the Jews, the rejection of clearly described revealed prophecy, what happened to the Jews? Everything about the Messiah was written down in their language and they had a copy. And they couldn't see it and they couldn't hear it and they couldn't believe it. He stands in front of them. Jesus. And then Paul comes uh, with miracles. Paul did miracles. And they still didn't get it. Didn't get what? It was written down. Did they believe in prophets? I began tonight by showing you they believed in prophets. They believed in prophecies. The Spirit was absent. They couldn't see. And what's happening today? Listen, this is very important. It's in the church. It's here. It's in Nineveh. It's everywhere. If this happened to the Jews, what Paul just announced to the Jews, the rejection of clearly described and revealed prophecy, can it happen in the church? Oh, you better believe it. That scene with Paul preaching to the Jews and Gentiles in Rome was 2,000 years ago. So what about today? Here comes the test. I told you we were going to take a test. What's coming next in God's prophecy? Do you know? What did Jesus reveal to Paul about our time, the end of the church age? Clearly described revealed words. I'm going to say it to you. 
clearly described, revealed words. Can you see? Can you hear? Does your heart receive, believe, and obey it? Because I'm going to take, we're going to take a test. We're going to take it together. I have cut out several portions. If you ever want to do a study, study Romans 9 through 11. Jew, Gentile, end of days kind of talking. Romans 9 to 11. If you've fallen into the victim lie that the church replaced Israel, you definitely need to go read 9 through 11. Okay? So what I did is I just went and took these snapshots, and I want to, here's the test. I want to see if you have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that will believe, because this is coming next. Okay? If he did it to the Jews, because they couldn't see, they couldn't hear, they wouldn't receive, he's going to do it, to the, he's going to do it in the church age. And I'm going to show, he told us he's going to do it in the church age. Same thing. So let's start our test, Okay? With Christ, I'm going to start with Romans 9.1. With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience, here it comes, and the Holy Spirit, not just the conscience, confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow, Paul says, and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. Why? Why is he tore up about the Jews? Because they're blind. They can't see. They can't hear. They can't turn and be healed. And he's tore up about it, right? I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off for Christ, cut off from Christ, if that would save the Jewish people. They are the people of Israel, chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them. He gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. And now they're all blind. Okay, jump down to verse 14. Are we saying then that God was unfair? Why can't they see? Why can't they hear? Are we saying that God is unfair? Of course not. For God said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose mercy nor work for mercy. Stay with me. We're taking a test. Y'all believe all this? Yeah, I do so far. Those crazy Jews? Why can't they see? Right? Wait, you just hold on because it's coming to you. Verse 24. And we are among those who he selected. Paul's the apostle of the Gentiles. Okay? And we're among those he selected from both the Jews and from the Gentiles. That's the church. Concerning the Gentiles? God says, and here's this prophecy again. He says in the prophecy of Hosea, those who were not my people, Gentiles, those who were not my people, I will now call my people. Somebody say hallelujah. Right? What did you do? You just stood there. Right? Those who were not my people, I will now call my people. And I will love those whom I did not love before. And then at the place where they were told, you are not my people, to the Jews. There they will be called children of the living God. No, excuse me, to the Gentiles. To the, in the place, in Israel. Remember that story in the Bible? Um, I'm just going off the cuff here. There's a woman who comes and she's a Gentile and she asks Jesus to, to bless her, to help her. And he says, we don't, we don't cast um, the bread before 
the swine or something like that. In other words, I'm not going to help you. And she says, even then dogs, and even the dogs get the crumbs off the master's table. And he finally does bless her. But his whole point was to the Jew first, to the Jew first, to the Jew first. Okay? To the Jew first. Now I'm going to go back to 26. Then at the place where they were told, the Gentiles, your dogs, you're not going to eat at my table. Where the Gentiles were told, you're not my people. There they will be called the children of the living God. Why do you think he called Paul to be apostle to the Gentiles? He's going to open this window, this window of time. You're 2,000 years into this window. And concerning Israel, Isaiah the prophet cried out, Though the people of Israel are as numerous as the sands of the seashore, only a remnant, only a few of them will be saved. Whoa. Whoa. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth quickly and with finality. And Isaiah said the same thing in another place. If the Lord of heaven's armies had not spared a few of our children, we would have been wiped out like Sodom and destroyed like Gomorrah. Verse 30. What does all this mean? Even though the Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standards, they were made right with God. How? And it was by faith that this took place. How? How did the Gentiles, who weren't even looking for God, get right with God? The Jews were trying to do it by obeying all these rules and laws. And by the way, God gave them the rules. He gave them the laws, 613 of them. And they couldn't do it. And here comes these Gentiles, and they just believed. They just believed. It's called faith. I'm going to go back to 30. What does all this mean? Even though the Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standards, they were made right with God, and it was by faith that this took place. But the people of Israel who tried so hard to get right with God by keeping the law never succeeded. Why not? Because they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of trusting in Him. Now, pause for a moment. Faith, the essence of faith is that you trust Him. So if you're a worrier, you're a fretter, you, you're worried about the future, you're worried, 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 worried. The essence of faith is you trust him. He's my father. I'm his child. So don't say you have faith and you don't trust him. Because you, you got a conflict going on in truth. Okay? They stumbled over the great rock, the juiced, Stumbled over the great rock in their path. God warned them of this in the scripture when he said, I am placing a stone in Jerusalem that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. But anyone who trusts, there's that word again, who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Only by faith and only by the calling of the Spirit, giving us ears to hear and understand. We must believe, put our trust in the word of God. And, and pause for a moment before I get into verse 16. You know the future, unless you're blind. And you know you're in the throes of it right now, unless you're blind. You're watching this being fulfilled in your generation. Can you see? Mm hmm? Go to verse 16, Romans 10. 
But not everyone welcomes the good news. For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what? What's this faith come from? This, this thing that the Gentiles had, but the Jews didn't have. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? This. This. Faith comes by hearing. That is hearing the good news about Christ. But I ask, have the people of Israel actually heard the message? Yeah. Yeah, they have. The message has gone throughout the earth, the words of God throughout the whole world. But I ask, did the people of Israel really understand? Yes, they did. For even in the time of Moses, God said, I will rouse your jealousy through people who are not even a nation. Talking about the Gentiles. I will provoke your anger through those foolish Gentiles. We are foolish Gentiles. And later Isaiah spoke boldly. For God saying, I was found by a people who were not looking for me. I showed myself to those who were not asking for me. But regarding Israel, God said all day long, I opened my arms to them and they were disobedient and rebellious. All right? Y'all with me? We're taking a test. Now it's going to get interesting. Verse 7, chapter 11. So this is the situation. Most of the people of Israel have not found the favor of God they were looking for so earnestly. A few have. There's that remnant. The ones God has chosen. No one can come to the Son unless the Father draws them. But the hearts of the rest, they were hardened. And as the Scriptures say, God has put them into a deep sleep. To this day, he has shut their eyes so they do not see. He has closed their ears so they cannot hear. They do not hear. Likewise, David said, let their bountiful table become a snare, a trap that makes them think all is well. Let their blessings cause them to stumble and let them get what they deserve. Let their eyes go blind so they cannot see and let their backs be bent forever. Did God's people, oh, da, 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 here we go. Did God's people, the Jews, stumble and fall beyond recovery? Hmm? Of course not. They were disobedient, so God made salvation available to who? Say it out loud. Us. You're 2,000 years into this open door. 2,000 years. But he wanted his own people to become jealous and claim it for themselves. Now, if you Gentiles were enriched because the people of Israel turned down God's offer of salvation, think how much greater a blessing the world will share when they finally, when they finally accept Yeshua Messiah. Okay, here we go. It's getting heavy now. 17. But some of the branches, uh-oh, I heard this last Sunday. Uh-oh. But some of the branches from Abraham's tree, here's your Jewish people. Some of the branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel have been broken off. And you Gentiles who were branches from a wild olive tree have been grafted into Abraham's tree. So now, you also, somebody say hallelujah. You also receive the blessing God had promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. Whoa, that's a good tree. But you must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. You Gentiles in the church, you are just a branch 
You are not the root. Well, you may say, those branches were broken off to make room for me. You might say that. But remember, those branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ. And you are there because you do believe, don't you? So don't think highly of yourself, but fear what could happen. For if God did not spare the original branches, he won't spare you either. Verse 25, here comes the future. I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you'll not feel proud, you Gentiles in the church age. That's who he's talking about. So you won't feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last only until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. Uh Uh-oh, we're 2,000 years into this open door. And so all Israel will be saved, as the Scriptures say, the one who rescues is going to come from Jerusalem, and he will turn Israel away from ungodliness, and this is my covenant with Israel. I will take away their sins as the waters cover the earth, so shall the knowledge, so shall the earth be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. It's a day that's coming. So here's the conclusion. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. How'd you do with that test? Are you ready for the... There's a person somewhere on planet Earth. He's the last Gentile. And when the full number of Gentiles comes in, doors closing. Now, if you're that last Gentile in this room tonight, I'd like to have an invitation when we close. (laughs) We'll just move this thing along. Because that door's closing. And when the full number of Gentiles turns, he will turn, I believe that's the rapture of the church, and he will turn to Israel, and during the seven-year tribulation, he will pour out his mercy upon Israel and the remnant. You know the future. You know the prophecy. Do you believe it? Are you sure? Do you have eyes to see? Do you believe in Jesus' testimony, the clearly described, revealed prophecy? That's what Paul got it from Jesus. He's the source. He suffered greatly. He was rejected by the Jewish leaders. He was crucified, rose from the dead, and on the third day, he announced, he predicted it all in advance. Why did God do all of this to his only begotten son? Do you have ears to hear and understand? 1 Corinthians 15. It's about tonight's prophecy is the resurrection. Why did he say it in advance? Because he wanted to tell you in advance also about your resurrection. Not just his. But tell me this. Since we preach that Christ has rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there is no resurrection of the dead? For if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and our faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the dead. From the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, a whole lot of raising going on in here. Y'all getting that? And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ, all your grandparents and all Peter, Andrew, James, and John, all them, they're all lost. 
All of them. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, these 64 years that I've had, if my hope is only in this life, we are to be more pitied, more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, oh boy, Christ has been raised from the dead. And he is the first of a great harvest. And who do you think's in that harvest? Us. He's the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has become through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ to be given new life. But there's an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. And then, here's what's coming. All who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. Do you have eyes to see, ears to hear? After that, after that, after this resurrection, then the end will come when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power, for Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For the scriptures say God has put all things under his authority. Of course, when it says all things are under his authority, that does not include God himself who gave Christ his authority then, when all things are under his authority, you know the future. The Son will put himself under God's authority so that God who gave his Son authority over all things will be utterly supreme over everything, everywhere. Churches are filled today with people who don't believe this is coming. What? The resurrection of the dead. Jesus' prophetic announcement number seven, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise. He told you, if you will connect your life to him, you might die, but you will rise. But you might not die. I might just come get you, and you'll be an Elijah. And then just go straight up. Jesus is coming, and he will take all those who are waiting for him. Let that sink in for a moment. You know he's going to come at the rapture? He's going to come and get everyone who's expecting him. I'm being very specific with that sentence. When he comes, he's going to come and get everybody who's expecting him. They're called believers. And if you're not expecting him, good luck. Because the concept of prophecy is to prepare you to know that which is coming. God's very clear calling in my life, the third thing that he gave me that caused me to go into the ministry was make the church ready for the wedding. The church thinks she's ready. She is not. Romans eleven nineteen. One last time. Well, you may say, those branches were broken off to make room for me. Yes, but remember, those branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ, and you are there because you do believe. So don't think highly of yourself, but fear what could happen. For if God did not spare the original branches... What in the world makes you think he'll spare you? For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. One last point. When Simeon, when Jesus was eight days baby, eight days old, Mary and Joseph take him to the temple and a prophet named Simeon is there. And God told Simeon, you'll not die until you see Messiah. And you know what Simeon said over Messiah, eight day old baby? He said, a light you are a light of revelation to the Gentiles. 
Simeon didn't get to die until he spoke a prophetic word. You, baby Jesus, are a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Can you see the light? Father, thank you for your powerful word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to understand the word, receive the word, live under the authority of the word. Now send us out in the power of the word, in the power of the spirit with this great light. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all.